Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Our sixth episode features Elizabeth Sharp Maqueda, a writer and poet originally from Austin, Texas, now living in Boise, Idaho. She received her BA from Harvard, her MA from Georgetown, and her PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. She wrote her dissertation on the intersections between memoir and myth, a concept that informs her teaching, writing, and way of looking at the world. She is the author of eight books, including her recently released, She Never Told Me About the Ocean. Her piece today is titled, My Leap. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Maqueda. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Ming for hosting. The piece I'm going to read tonight is called, My Leap, and it's the story of my leap into writing. I wrote poems as a child, kept dozens of diaries as a teenager, and drafted my first book in college. Many late nights I sat up in my childhood bed, inventing words and characters so concrete that I could have broken a fingernail on them. None of my inventions in themselves were particularly impressive. The only poem I remember from my childhood in Texas described a snowy day, with which I had zero experience. But the continuity of writing in my life was worth noting. If I had a pen, I wrote. I didn't need paper, books would do, as would receipts, napkins, hands, or even occasionally my legs. But I sprouted from an American family where earning one's keep in a practical way mattered. My mother, fearful after seeing her own mother jobless and impoverished after a divorce, collected professional degrees like barnacles on top of a shell. By the time I was three, she had earned a master's degree, a PhD, and a law degree. My dad worked at the same law firm for over 35 years and retains a fierce loyalty to the establishment that gave him colleagues, mentors, health insurance, and a living. Writing became my luxury, and luxuries, I discerned, ought to be kept to the side. In her poem, For My Lover Returning to His Wife, poet Anne Sexton writes, Let's face it, I have been momentary, a luxury, a bright red sloop in a harbor, little neck clams out of season. It took me years to learn that sometimes luxury becomes necessity. The bright red sloop in a harbor becomes the anchor you need to sleep soundly at night. It strikes me as meaningful that both of these luxuries are sea-related. Sometimes, when the tug of war comes to a head between the shore's safety and the wildness of the sea, the best and bravest thing to do is simply to leap. Several times, I'd come close to leaping. When I graduated from college, fully certain that I wanted to write books, I begged work on a year of freelance writing projects. Kind adults offered me stipends to help them research scholarly books, to tape record memoir chapters, and to tutor their children in writing, 
and to make photocopies for writing seminars. Each night, when I finished my paid work, I wrote stories. I lived at the time with a law student whose friends came over for dinners and study groups. They envied the freedoms of my unordered life. I envied the clean hierarchical ladders guiding them up through their professions, telling them when they had definitively succeeded. I also envied their two-word answer to the question of, what do you do? The simplicity of saying, law student, seemed a priceless conversational currency. What do you do? People asked everywhere. I'm a writer, I said with a mix of pride and trepidation. Then they would ask, so what have you had published? This was the moment where all my pride fell. Nothing yet. It was too humbling. I wanted a concrete answer made of metal or wood, something hard enough to break a fingernail on. My answer was too ethereal, and at age 22, I mourned my lack of credibility. I had too much ambition, too costly a college degree, to have nothing included in the answer that defined my life's work. So after two months of writing full-time, I scurried to the Career Counseling Center, took the GRE, and sent away applications for graduate school. The six years that followed of getting a PhD in English were glorious, mainly because self-definition came so easily. What do you do? People asked. Graduate student, I answered, relishing the two-word answer. I could write incognito again, as I did in college. I could write at night or first thing in the morning. I could write in cafes or on the carpet of my basement apartment, half listening to the quiet snores of my new roommate, a Welsh corgi named Goblin. I could write without having to define myself through a profession that would take me years to claim as my own. But occasionally at night, the writer inside me demanded, what are you doing? I would answer, I'm busy learning to become a better reader, which will make me a better writer. So when do you start the writing, was the voice's good-natured response. I do it all the time, I answered defensively. You've seen now how I start new projects constantly, how I always carry a notebook. But, interrupted my pointed subconscious, when will you begin finishing things? This question always stumped me. It seemed that once I published a book, I would be pinned as a good, mediocre, or bad writer. But I would no longer live in the dreamland of believing that I could write anything I wanted, complete everything I started, and be at once playwright, poet, novelist, and essayist. Finishing meant closing doors. I wasn't ready to do that yet. I feared the solo leap into thin air that writing required. Many questions I harbored about being outside of an institution were petty yet frightening. What about health insurance? Monthly bills? Could I still afford organic vegetables? Would I suddenly have to make the library my exclusive book source instead of pressing pay on Amazon and having lovely packages arrive seated with books whose pages I could spill on and dog ear and write story ideas on? If and when I had children, would I be of any use at supporting them? By the time I finished my PhD, I had completed drafts of four novels, one dissertation and one poetry manuscript. But I had not put in the work in time to revise and finish them. I did not believe in them, or I see now in myself, enough to get them to their ideal versions. I'd once again entered the in-between zone, the place that academics call the liminal. I was neither a graduate student nor professor, neither hobby writer nor professional. I'd come again to the place where the dreaded what do you do question could shine light into all the trap doors in my soul. But I did not want to go into academia. I wanted to write. So I took a job teaching 10th grade English at my old high school, where I also ran the creative writing club. This seemed a happy medium. It was a real job, the type that many people do quite happily forever, 
And indeed, many of my fellow teachers had worked there for more than 40 years, including Mr. Fitzsimmons, who had taught me senior English and led me to fall in love with the work of Zelda Fitzgerald. And Mrs. Reisman, who taught freshman history and had a fake leg that she was rumored to take off and bang against desks. Teaching full-time was a concrete job that I enjoyed, and saying that I taught gave me a, a breaking fingernails on an answer as hard as rocks and wood. Yet, answering the what do you do question became harder than ever. I identified as a writer. It was why I woke up in the mornings at 5 a.m., allowing myself two hours before school started to work on a young adult novel. When people asked the question I had been ducking for the previous 10 years, I began by answering, I'm a high school English teacher. But then I skittered and wiggled and burst out in an uninvited logoria about how I also led a creative writing club and how teaching was just a job and how really, really, truly and deep down I was a writer. It was a disaster. Not the teaching. I loved my colleagues and many of my students, but simply the mess of self-definition I had gotten myself into. For my entire adult life, I had known what I wanted to do, yet I had danced around it eternally as if in red, hot shoes, taking on jobs that were like writing, but not writing. I realized that I had spent more than 10 years avoiding my first choice because I was too full of dread at a simple question. So I had chosen second, third, fourth choices because they seemed somehow less risky. Finally, at age 31, in the midst of an economic recession and pregnant with my first child, I quit my teaching job. I moved to a house in a less expensive city and took a big chunk of my savings and put it into the construction of a backyard writing studio. I had apprehensions about this. Savings are for crises in later life, for finding you have cancer and needing to fund treatment that healthcare won't cover, or they're for sending children to college, for helping aging parents into healthcare homes, for caring spouses when they lose jobs. But it struck me that every day I was waking up wishing that my life looked different. And taking this money to fund a writing life lay down a gauntlet for myself, a vow that I would take with the utmost gravity. So I leapt. Ten years have passed since my leaping. I'm 41. I've followed my writing to another country where I live now with my family. I've shed dreams, ideals, ambitions, and houses in order to make writing the primary center of my days. Nine of my books have been published since then, but that doesn't seem to be the main thing. The main thing is that each morning I wake with a sense of alignment, having left behind the ambivalence of my fear of leaping. I harbor a fierce, wild pride at knowing that my daughter and son have a mother who chased a childhood dream until she caught it. Mornings, they see me wake to work early, to stay on the eternal chase. My inner writer no longer interrogates me at night. But these past 20 years, 10 years of hesitation and wishing to write, 10 years of discipline and learning to write, have marked me, leaving an old scar dealt by my fear of loving a luxury too fiercely. Perhaps because of that, I've learned to ask questions that do not require others to reduce themselves into two-word answers. Still, when people ask me now, what do you do? I can respond without hesitation, knowing that my answer is true, that every day I participate in this act, for better or worse, till death do us part. So I answer, I write. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please tune in next week for a piece by Dutch artist Eric Wesselow.